Hey guys, this is Chelsea with Entrepreneur, and today I'm here with Shirley. And you know what? I am super excited because she is she's telling us all about things about her business that's based in Malaysia, which is pretty awesome. It's a first in the showcase. So I want to welcome you. Hey, how are you doing? Hi Chelsea, I'm good. How are you? <laughs> I'm doing so so well. I'm so glad to have you. Tell me, um, first, give me, give me. Let, let the people know your name, your business name, and where exactly can you be found in Malaysia? Okay, my name is Shirley, and my business name is Shirley's Henna Artwork. And uh, I my, my hometown is known as Ipoh, and I work in a place known as Kuala Lumpur. So mainly my, my business areas, I take clients in Kuala Lumpur, Selangor, these are the names of the areas and then uh, back in my hometown Ipoh during weekends and certain public holidays so this is where I can be found. Ah, I love it I love it <laughs> so Shirley tell me how long how long have you been doing have you been doing henna? I've been doing it since year approximately 2005 2006 yes uh, I, I started at, at, at those years, uh, because in school I used to just draw. Uh, I, I wasn't good in art, not so much. But uh, I think when I was like uh, 17, I, I realized that I can actually draw exact images of cartoons. I, I still have those uh, sketches, so I can actually replicate the exact. You know, it started out with Mickey Mouse, Donald Duck. You know, these kind of cartoon images. So I I, I realized that I can draw something. And during my college event, um, there was once that we had a charity event and um, one existing henna artist, she was, she was very exhausted after a few days of drawing henna for people. <laughs> and my friends said, hey, you know drawing, why not just help her out? So it was just that during that event, I picked up a cone and I started drawing for the, the customers. And the weird thing is, it didn't feel new or it didn't feel odd or awkward. It, it, it just felt very connected. Mm. And to the extent that my professor's wife, she, I mean, she came for the event and she asked, how many years have you been doing this? And I said, it's just my first day today. And she was very shocked. Just like, are you, are you serious? You're really good at it. So yeah, after that, <laughs> after that, the interest grew and then I started getting uh, cones and then um, of course we would always try the people near to us and this would happen to be my housemates, um, my sisters. So I'll just buy books, I'll just buy cones and I'll just try it all of them. But uh, the only problem is at uh, that time I didn't really know the existence of natural henna and in Malaysia uh, instant henna or the chemical cones are are what we find in stores. Mm. So when we mention henna, that, that is the thing that seems normal for us. So I started off with instant henna. Uh, in fact, I tried learning natural henna through the website, but it didn't work. In fact, um, maybe I didn't know where to get the proper supply and all. So uh, now I'm fully into natural henna uh, after many, oh. many years. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like... Um... 
well, of course, you see like a very specific style also in Malaysia. Any, I feel like any work is Singapore, Malaysia, uh, Indonesia. The work is is very is very specific. There's definitely a regional style there, and you can tell mm, that the trend yes. is definitely towards that that uh, instant henna, the bright red cherry mm. colors. It seems that that's Correct. what people Correct. are looking for. Mm. Yeah. How long? Um, because. How long... Um, oh, please go ahead. Sorry. Uh, because uh, customers, what I've come across is customers, they really like that particular color. They say, I want cherry color. I want red color. And then uh, we have to start educating them. And then we tell, no, natural henna gives uh, burgundy, maroon, brown color, depending on your skin tone, depending on your body heat. And some do not want that color. They want that bright red. Mm. So it's quite um, difficult actually to instill their mind with uh, choosing natural henna. So, but I think now personally, I see a trend of people accepting natural henna. In fact, they are requesting the henna artists to provide them with natural henna. So I think the awareness is growing the, the, the recent years. Oh, that's so good. Uh, well, I, I feel like uh, anytime mm-hmm. you're dealing with education, especially if you're taking on a market that's so used to one thing, that education, Correct. it can be hard, but mm. once once it picks up, it's like it's like wildfire. I think. So, yeah. with True. was the 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 instance in two thousand fifteen, two thousand six, or I'm sorry, two thousand five, two thousand six, when you were when you were working there um, on that first day, was that the first time that you uh, had henna also, or was do you have a history of henna before then? No, I. I've I've not had henna myself. In fact, really, yeah. Oh yeah. my gosh! So, but but of, of of course, I've I've seen people adorning their hands with it. Uh-huh. But it's just that during this event, I just wanted to help a person, and I picked up the cone, and it and it just felt so in tune. Like like I'm very connected with it. So that's how I started. I love it. I love it. You know, I asked. I feel like. <laughs> Like for me, I, I started henna in 2011, but I had an experience, one experience with henna before then, oh, and maybe 2004. That was when I, I got something like on my wrist, someone did something for me and I was so like, I loved it so much. And so it's always interesting to hear if people, if the first time that they do henna is like also their first experience with henna as a whole, or if they've had henna before uh, prior. So that's so cool. That's, <laughs> that's so cool. <laughs> So when, so you're at this event, you pick up the cone, you feel like it's just coming to you so naturally. Did you immediately think maybe I could uh, have a business with this? Or did you find that it was over a course of time that you're like, okay, I'm, I'm pretty good. I I can do something here. I didn't immediately think of a business. It just, it was more of a fun and a passion kind of a thing so everywhere I would go you know you know to these Indian stores and all you can you can get the design books so I would buy some of those and I would buy the codes and then um, most of the time I will try it on my house things during college days <laughs> so I'll, I'll, I'll just doodle on them uh, and then um, I think the first customer I had was during my college days also my college mate, she wanted me to do a henna do for her sister's engagement. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. So it was just a very simple one. And uh, it was very minor charges, like like per design, you know, those kind of things. 
so it's, it's just for a trial to see whether it worked or not so i think after that um one of my working colleagues a few years after that she hired me for her sister's wedding so even that i told her i do not know how to charge uh, you just give me what you feel like you or you want to give so that was my first i think official business yeah ah, that's ah, i love it and i have to ask you am i hearing the azan yeah yeah yes yes you do I am loving <laughs> that. You have no idea how excited this makes me. Oh my gosh. Okay, sorry. Yeah, I love it. I love it so much. Okay. Um, you know, I've never I've never like um I've not yeah, I've not been to a city where you hear the Azan call. So to hear it there that's so surreal for me. You have no idea. I'm loving yeah. it. Yeah. Um, In fact, Malaysia is multicultural. I yeah, love so. that. So <laughs> Ah. Oh. Oh, I'm dying inside. Like I, I can't. My heart is so happy now. So, okay. So, let me ask you then. Um, over the course of those years, did you find like for you as a for one, how did it feel? Because I know you said it, it. You felt like you were very in in, in tune with the henna. But how did it feel this prospect of finding something new, henna, um, and and being able to take that on as a creative outlet? It felt like an escape, actually. Mm-hmm. not not in the early days in the early days i just simply did it for fun and uh, i think i started taking henna seriously um i think about 4 years ago 4 years ago i moved to to kuala lumpur from my hometown ipoh after working there for many years so i it was actually moving out of my com- comfort zone mm. so moving into a new place uh being alone sometimes i think um, you know the loneliness gets to you so um i think henna somehow saved me from that uh so after coming here i actually had the opportunity of joining classes there was one class that i joined first on learning how to mix the natural henna paste and uh i also learned how to draw the figures the dulha dulhan figures So that the first class I I went officially before that it was all self taught and short time after that I was able to join um a henna meet uh locally with uh, a local henna artist her name is Dina or well known as Nakris Mehendi she is quite popular here so she just had a meet and greet with with some henna artists so I, I I just joined for fun and in through that i was able to meet a lot of other henna artists and connect with them and a few months after that i was able to join another program by shaitra skins yeah from singapore yeah she came to kuala lumpur so i i grabbed that opportunity to to attend that as well so i think um, these past four years with with the, the times that actually escalated in my henna business so um my mind also because i was also into instant henna because i think it was it was just a lack of awareness mm. so i think after going to all these programs and all these meets i think it kind of opened my eye to natural henna so i started experimenting i started buying those products essential oil mixing it on my own uh, making my own trial and error and now i'm actually selling natural henna paste 
I'm selling my own aftercare products. I've, I'm doing henna sealants, I'm doing henna balms, I'm doing aftercare oil. So I'm actually selling all these items. So I think these past four years, I've, I've, I'm personally seeing a growth in my career in henna business. Oh, I love that. I love how you take the shift from, from instant cones to learning natural henna, then to investing and in learning in, in other ways. And then like launching a whole retail line. I'm geeking out. I love yes. that so much. <laughs> it's so all cool. All this happened with this in four years. Yeah, in, in just four years. All, all this while I've, I've never, you know, it, it was something that I never thought to myself that I would actually be doing something or selling something. It was, it was never in my thought. Mm-hmm. It was never oh. in my plans or whatever. It just happened. <laughs> I feel like those are the best <laughs> things, though. When it just happens, it just happens naturally. Yeah. Ah. Uh, mm-hmm. So you. So okay. Were you? I have to. I have to know. You. You jumped into these like community meetings and and going to these classes. It, mm. Were you at first? Was was there a sense of overwhelm, or did it all just kind of once you started to get that education, it just came naturally? Like, okay, this makes this. This is like a no brainer. I'm going to make the switch, and that was that. Um, or did you find that making the transition from, from instant cones to natural henna was a challenge? Maybe not even for you, but more for your clients. Mm. I was pretty scared because most of my client base was the ones who wanted instant henna. And I know it would be difficult to penetrate that market, natural henna market into an area where instant henna is actually leading. So it took me some time actually to decide. Uh, for, for a time, I actually offered both. Uh, to the extent I even told the price, you can actually have a free trial. You can try both instant henna and natural henna, and you can choose what you want for your actual day. And surprisingly, most of them actually did choose natural henna at the end. Oh, they liked wow. the way natural henna turned out. So after a while, I decided... Um, no, let's just move on to natural henna. Let's just take the risk. And I did it. And now I think I've seen more clients are actually coming for natural henna. So I think there's there's no regrets in the decision I made to choose natural henna at the end. Uh, so I have to say, and I, I, <laughs> I feel like maybe this is going to be controversial to say, but I'm going to say it anyway. <laughs> I think... So as natural and artists, right, we, our community, we can, we can get a little bit judgy about the use of, of instant henna and chemical hennas and so forth. And rightfully so, right? We understand now, we understand that mm-hmm. there's, there's a harm associated with them. But I have to tell you, I actually really like the way that you went about making the transition from you saying, hey, let's do the trial and you can try both. Because if you have a, an audience who's already going, they're using the, the instant henna mm. and, and they're going to choose it regardless, you have to give them yeah. the opportunity to try it in a way that's like, that's non-invasive True. and in a way that's non-threatening to their mm. larger event, right? Because the worst thing for a bride is yeah. I get henna and it doesn't work. So I love, I love the way that you went about making that transition instead of just making the jump. And I feel like uh, sometimes you'll, especially for a natural henna artist, we are, we hear like chemical cones and we're like, how could you, how could, like, how dare you? Don't you know that it's harmful? And (laughs) But 
but yeah that like it totally it it um it dismisses the fact that there is an audience who's existing who loves henna and who just yeah. needs the education so i think that it's so, so it's yeah. yeah i think that that was brilliant how you made the transition and now that effort is obviously paying off because your clients are there for natural henna so because you need to slowly introduce that to them because they are they are and in, in fact me i was so used to natural i mean instant henna for for a time that was the only henna that everyone in malaysia knew so i think you have to slowly introduce it to them in order for them to accept it mm-hmm. it's true you know in sales there's this concept of give people what they want but then serve them what they need. So people will come to you right yeah. with with one particular thing that they're wanting and so you offer them what they want but then you end up giving them what what they need and I think that this is a perfect example of how you did that in your market and it's it's amazing. Like I think that's lovely. So today like talk to me about your business today. What what type of clients are you seeing on a daily basis? Okay so every week I actually have a weekly orders for natural henna coats there are few number of uh, regular henna artists who actually get their supply of natural henna coats from me um not only that this year I actually see a trend of uh, brides themselves uh wanting to get natural henna coats to give it to their henna artists so that they can get themselves adorned with natural henna so that's the trend I'm seeing this year Uh, apart from that i'm also selling my aftercare products the three aftercare products and every now and then i do get some brides um for for their bridal henna and i'm i'm also teaching personal taste mixing classes every now and then depending uh, on the demand so uh because i think some clients really love the consistency of the paste that i do that they want to learn so i actually conduct some personal classes to actually teach them how to achieve the consistency what's what's natural henna all about how do you choose the ingredients uh where do you get the supplies so all these are things that i teach in the class and last year i had my first henna workshop for i think about 7 participants uh that was where i taught them natural henna based mixing and also um drawing for beginners only for the beginners level and also um last year and the year before that i had an opportunity to speak in our local malaysia henna conference wow. organized by nakrismandi uh, i mentioned just now nakrismandi yeah she organized it so i was given the opportunity to speak on henna and health um uh, because i have a background in biomedicine i'm a lecturer myself so i i had that background knowledge on the uh, scientific things related to the natural henna so i was given the opportunity to talk about natural henna and health so that was the other two things i did last year uh and the year before that ah oh, that is so cool so- <laughs> I, i love well and i love that you can bring in the both the both of the skill sets together and take this this professional training that you have and apply it to henna also to educate that's amazing wow so today so do you find like in your typical work week what is um how much time are you having to spend in in preparing orders and preparing your your aftercare balms and oils and and sealants and 
what's the like what's the what's your work process look like if you will to get those things ready and also to serve your clients actually currently my time is like so fully occupied that sometimes it, it takes me so much of time just to to reply those who are inquiring uh, information from me so after my working hours i actually come back and prepare natural henna cones so usually i send the postages on either monday or tuesdays every week so it means that uh, mostly mondays or the weekends i'll be preparing the orders um and about the aftercare products it's not something that i do on a daily basis that is mostly maybe twice in a month mm. so most of my time every day actually goes for the natural henna cone uh, preparation because every now and then i'll just get some ad hoc orders hey um it's quite urgent do you have some henna cones at the moment <laughs> so sometimes i go to the rescue yes i have <laughs> so yeah So actually, I'm I'm quite pretty occupied. Wow! Wow! What type of what type Did of clients I, are you? Oh, go ahead. Oh yeah. Okay, I just wanted to finish the sentence. I just said that I'm so occupied that I don't even have time to think about anything else. That <laughs> that, that there's no such thing as loneliness anymore. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh it sounds like it well i believe it i believe it you 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 you've grown a vibrant thing uh, and i think that's it's so cool it's so cool to hear about it um so mm. tell me tell me what um when you talk about servicing clients what type of clients do you service typically are you, do you work with like bridal clients or like everyday appointments or are you now mostly focused on the retail aspect Well, my consistent one is retail, weekly natural henna cone orders, um, and also I think the second most common one is uh, natural. I mean, sorry, my bridal henna uh, clients. Oh wow! So I deal with them. Yeah, so mostly are the brides who's getting engaged or getting married. Do you have is like uh, typically in a in a week? Do you see a particular number of of brides and and um, newly engaged women, or is it is it kind of like just is there like a season? I don't know. Here, there's definitely a bridal season. In Malaysia, is there a season like that? We do have because most of my clients are Indian based. Oh. Um, so Indians they have um, certain months that's quite auspicious for them to get married. So in those months, uh, we are fully booked, super duper busy. So even though I'm not booked, I will be very busy with uh, the cone orders for other henna artists who are busy. Ah. Oh. So we we do have seasons such as those. But even uh that we do have certain months that they are not really encouraged to get married, or it's not very auspicious. But then um now I think there's weddings every time of the season. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh i have to know what are these months what are the what are the ideal months for for a bride i didn't know that that's this is news to me ideal month okay um i'm not very familiar with the terms of the month uh because basically i'm a christian so okay i think this comes january i think before January, yeah, I think somewhere in January. It's very hot. Mm. 
meant before July and after July. Ah, okay. So yeah, and I, I think, I think uh, if I'm not mistaken, April and July is the month that we do not have many weddings. Yeah. Mm, okay. Okay. I'm sorry, I'm not able to help you with that. I'm no, not very no, no. familiar with that one. <laughs> no you're okay i'm thinking like because here it's not so much the months it's more like the seasons so like um and it will be on a trend so like this this uh the past year uh fall weddings were very much a trend and i think that we're slowly making a transition to where people are wanting to have winter weddings and this happens like it it will just it kind of like rotates so like you'll see that it's just kind of shifts like <laughs> And this year, I know for sure, this year, fall weddings are definitely a trend. Um, okay. It just depends on, it depends. And of course, people get married all time, at all times throughout the year. But, yeah. least, you know, here and in the U.S., fall weddings are like, that's the, everyone's looking for a fall wedding. And I think maybe it just has to do with like the colors also, like which colors are in season that year. So then they're looking for okay. the right colors to match their wedding. So then they go for that season. So I remember like even in the past, like maybe the past two years, the colors blush, like the color blush was very popular. And so people were wanting to have more spring weddings because they wanted all of the blush colors and they wanted to have like the weddings when the, uh -huh. the trees were flowering and so forth. So I don't know. That's why I asked. I was like, oh, that's interesting. I wonder if there's seasons there that's like, this one is a, a recommended time to get married or if there's just a trend um, in fashion that would make them want to go. Ah. This is a good time. <laughs> um, so tell me, like, um, so how, how long did it take you? Let me ask you this. How long did it take you to get from a place where you've learned about natural henna and now you've got this, um, this product that you're comfortable using and that your clients now love to, oh my goodness, here I am supplying products for other artists and like running this vibrant retail business as well. How long did that transition take? That actually went by very fast. I, I can't believe it myself. Um, because I think there was just this once that I prepared cones for, for myself, uh, for, a, for a, I think, bridal henna, and, and, and I just posted it. I just said, okay, my cones are ready. And then I received a private message asking if I can sell the cones. So I gave it a thought, and I thought to myself, why not? Let's just give it a try. So that's how I got my first customer and she was very pleased. And then um, somehow once I started posting, I just started getting orders every now and then. So it just started like a trial and error. Um, so suddenly I just realized that I am getting the orders every now and then. So I started sourcing out, um, okay, where do I get the powders where do i get uh, oils you know because i used to get it in very small quantities mm -hmm. that uh, you know even 500 gram of henna was a lot for me because i didn't want to be like storing it and then um, letting it waste away so i was just looking for 100 grams now now i'm actually getting 10 pages <laughs> you know when i go to india <laughs> so my 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 supply has actually increased so yeah that that's how i started and aftercare items i just um gave it a try because um that was definitely inspired by shira skins because i, I went for her for her workshop so i saw how um how uh, what kind of aftercare items she was having so i just thought of giving it a try mm -hmm. 
and that turned out well as well. Um, some hen artists who, who tried the products, they really loved it. So again, trial and error here and there, and finally, it all worked out well. I'll, I'll just say that it just picked up quite well actually, very, very fast. Even sometimes I don't believe that I'm actually making something handmade and I'm actually able to sell it. All God's blessings. <laughs> oh, I love it. So, like, are most of your are most of your um, customers are they local to you? Are you shipping the Are you shipping the products far? Like, um, in in general, typically, where where are most of your customers from? Only locally, um, oh, okay. because natural henna cones are perishable. Mm -hmm. So most of my clients are just local. Okay. Ah, and are you selling it? Are you selling like um, from an online shop or do they just make an inquiry with you um, by an email or how do people find you to, to, to place their orders? Mostly it's through my Instagram. Actually, I started through my Facebook page, uh, but then I, I got into Instagram and then I realized that most, most of my client base is from Instagram. So they usually send me a DM. And I feel that works the best for me. So I, I just reply and then I send them the information. And then they make their orders, they make their payment, and then I send off send out send send out their parcels. Yeah. Oh. That, that, that's how it's been working out so far. So cool. Nothing complicated. <laughs> I wanna I wanna I want <laughs> to ask you, like, because now you you have this line also of the aftercare products. And I think it's really interesting, especially from the standpoint like. For example, I always tell my clients, I can never guarantee a statement for you. And sometimes people are like, wait, what do you mean? And I tell them, the thing is, I'm, I'm responsible for half of this. I'm responsible for making yeah. sure that it's good quality paste and that it's natural and that it's going to be fresh and that it will, it's potent, right? That's my job. But mm -hmm. the other part of that equation is the aftercare. And that's totally mm -hmm. up to you. And if the aftercare fails... Yeah the stain fails also. And so I love that you leaned into offering aftercare products because I think that we have to educate our clients about also their responsibility mm. in getting a good stain. Yeah. Have yeah. you found that um, most of the aftercare products that you're offering, have you found that it's artists that are purchasing them to sell to their clients or to gift to their clients? Or are you finding that it's more um, brides and those clients themselves who are coming to purchase the aftercare products for their own use? At the moment, most of them are henna artists themselves. They are including my aftercare product with their package. Mm. So their customers get my aftercare products together with, with their service. And I also do have um, brides who, 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 who buy the whole set from me. Um, prior to their weddings. So they are quite um, familiar with that. I, I understand where you're coming from. You're talking about, you know, clients are responsible for the other half of it. So that's actually quite a struggle to actually tell them to, you know, make them understand because as, as, as I mentioned, we do not really have that awareness here. So what I actually did was, um, I actually made a very short one minute video in my Instagram account just to show them how the aftercare works. So I think um, I started forwarding that to my clients and I think it just made them very easy to understand how it works, uh, what, what they should do, what they shouldn't do. 
And then um, there was also a struggle as in the, the, the color of the henna, as I mentioned. Some uh, clients actually asked me, okay, uh, do you have red natural henna? Uh, and, and do they say, uh, I actually want uh, this bright red natural henna only. Do you have that? So I, I got to know that, okay, people actually have these certain misconceptions about natural henna colors and all. So I actually wrote some, uh, you know, article, small article kind of a thing in my Instagram page as well. Just to let them know what is natural henna and why can't we choose the colors. So I forward that link as well. And also prior to my um, bridal henna appointments, I actually send them a preparation list how you should prepare for your henna session and how you should care for your henna after that. So they are quite familiar with that. And once I go and do the henna for them, while I'm doing it, I'll tell them, you know, you should keep it on for about eight hours. Uh, you just need to make sure that you don't touch the water, you apply the balm. So I, I just kept, I, I just keep repeating it again and again. And even before I leave the house, I just tell them, okay, remember, don't wash, don't panic when you see orange color the next morning. It's all normal. The color will slowly transition from orange to brown. So I actually feel it's more of a reinforcing this information again and again. So I think they, they will eventually get it. Uh, I, I, okay. So I, one of the things for me is I love systems. I love having resources readily available so that with the click of a button, you can send it to your client and they have what they need. And yeah. so I love that you made those 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 um, resources available on Instagram for anyone to consume, but then also that you're sharing yeah. them with your with your with your clients, with your brides and so forth. That is invaluable. And I agree, I think when you're when you're dealing with um with clients, especially especially brides, right? Anyone who's who's getting that specialty service where they the color is important to them. It's not just the everyday henna, it has to be perfect. Giving them something that's tangible, giving them the the form that they can read and, and make sure that they have it readily available to them. It's so important and it's such a good customer service. Like that's the thing. It's just good customer service so that they have the resources that they need. Um, but I find it interesting yeah. that with every package, there is, um, you know, that these additional products being offered, are they like, is it included? Um, like, is it presented to them as a gift here? This is a gift to, to help you with your aftercare or is it um, something that your clients perceive that they're also purchasing? My, my own bridal henna clients, uh, it comes as a complimentary product together with your package. So they will not need to buy it. Unless, of course, they're getting a very simple package uh, from me. So then it is not included. Okay. So when, when, when they're getting a, a heavy, full covered package, you know, that's, it, it's already complimentary. So I, okay. I, I provide it ready for them. They don't have to purchase it separately. I love it. I love it. I think it's, um, there's something that's like surprise and delight, right? There's uh, this concept that I try to lean into with my clients, it's surprise them and delight them. And so to offer this is a little small gift and for them to perceive it to be a gift and not something like, oh, I paid for the package. So it's included, like it's just paid for. Um, with it being perceived as a gift, it's a little bit more special. And that does, I think that brings surprise and delight sure. to that. And I love that. Yeah. So can you tell me the the differences that that um, 
the difference because you mentioned the aftercare balm and the aftercare oil. Do you mention the difference between the two? And is there a preference that you found with your clients that they prefer one over the other? No, actually, it, it comes as a sequence of items that you use. So you start off with the sealant to let the space dry on the skin. And then the aftercare oil is basically just to um, soak on the paste, you know, just for easy removal and for them to apply it every now and then. And balm is something that I strongly recommend them to wear uh, because a lot of Indian ceremonies, they have um, certain rituals that they have to do. And if, if the family members will have to perform certain rituals. So in those kind of rituals, it's always safe to apply the balm first um, so that their stain will not be affected after performing the rituals. So that's something that I tell them, you know, you, you whatever it is, just ensure that you apply the balm. Uh, and it should keep it should keep the stain waterproof. So I think so far they've been diligently, di very disciplinedly following uh, every instruction that I've given them. So they actually come out with very good stain turnouts. Oh, I love it. So I think reinforcing it again and again it works. <laughs> Very cool. Very cool. You were saying that most of your clients and your customers, they're coming to you from Instagram. And so I wanted to know, mm. did that happen like just organically or did you, uh, were you very intentional with building your Instagram following for that purpose? I'm actually still learning on my Instagram marketing. Honestly, I'm, I'm not there yet, <laughs> but I'm slowly learning. Um, the way I started, it wasn't anything strategic. Mm. Uh, it was just another social media tool. Only sometime after that, I realized that it's actually a very good marketing tool. And I um, started getting some inputs and some tips from my good friend. Uh, she's another well-known henna artist, uh, TMK Henna. So she helps me with certain Instagram marketing tips and tricks also. So I think from that, I've learned a lot of things. Um, but I'm still trying and trying to implement what I'm learning. So, yeah. Ah. I didn't strategically start that. It, um, I just started exploring it. And now I'm, I've, I've sort of got the hang of it. But there's still a long way for me to go. I think with Instagram, there's always a long way to go. Like, mm. I think, yes. I think <laughs> yeah, it's always changing. The algorithms are changing like, mm. and, and they're releasing new, new features True. and you always have to learn something new. Um, just as soon as you think you've got the hang of it, then they make some different change. So I love yeah. that. Today, today about how, do you know about how large is your Instagram following? Okay, um, I just reached 3,000 followers about a week ago. Ah, uh, so congrats. my, yeah, thank you. So actually my Instagram growth has been quite slow and steady. So I'm just embracing every small step that I take. <laughs> yeah. Can you, yeah. I have to tell you though, I, I think that a slow and steady Instagram following honestly is the best way to go, especially because mm -hmm. If you have, even if the, I think ugh, sometimes we look at the numbers and we're looking for a really high number and, yeah. and it doesn't have to be that way to have a successful business. Like mm. many times you find accounts that are very large, but then their following is not close to them at all. So they're, they'll never do business with them. But if mm. you have a smaller, like if the number can be smaller, but if the following is local, 
then that's where the money is, you know? So Mm. it's always interesting to hear um, when you have someone who's, who's focused on Instagram marketing or using Instagram marketing as a, as a tool, as a resource for their business, if that's that Mm. large following or not. Um, uh, To be honest, my following, I think right now for my local, for my business, for Cardamom Club Hannah, that one is also like, I'm just over 3000 followers. Like I just cleared 3000 followers earlier this year. And, Mm -hmm. but I'm a full-time artist too. And Mm -hmm. people, I think sometimes they look for the number, but there's not, I don't think that there's validation in the number. I think that uh, it has to be the right people too. So it sounds like you're doing a great job at bringing the right people in. So good for you. Thank you. Of course. So let me ask you, we'll shift gears a little bit. I want to ask, um, what has been like, uh, what has been, let me ask you this. What's been the largest investment that you've made in your business to date? To date, I will say it's the henna powders and the essential oils. Mm. Mm. So yeah, that's the largest investments. Yeah. Okay. Has there ever been, has, <laughs> has there ever been an investment that you've made in your business that you're like, ah, I made this investment and I wish it would have given me a better return than what I got? Has there ever been an investment like that that you've made? No. Oh. No. So you're good. So far, I think <laughs> <laughs> I think I'm. I'm not very good at uh, risk taking so much. <laughs> so I'm very careful about investing <laughs> in purchasing. So I guess, yeah, I've been able to get the right items from my investment. Oh, that's so cool. <laughs> I, I, I'm, I'm, I tend to, so I'll tell you, I tend to, to be cautious, but then also like every so often I'll see something. I'm like, Oh, I'm going to buy it. Oh, I'm going to do it. I'm going to try it. And then it opens me up to, to, it is, it's a risk. It's a risk, but I think it's yeah. you know, with it and it comes lesson. So I'm okay with it. I will chalk it up and it's fine. <laughs> so then, Have you, cause I know that you've mentioned taking the classes also, what sort of investments have you made in the education portion and in, in furthering your business? Um, perhaps not in a tangible way, but um, even in just in empowering yourself with knowledge and so forth. Um, so far, I think it was just that few classes that I did. Uh, I was actually intending to attend another HANA conference this year. Um, but I think I changed my mind after getting to know that they were, were that they are not actually using a universal language. Mm. So I decided because I, I was ready to invest some, some money to attend the conference to, to learn something. But uh, sadly, they were not planning to use a universal language for the conference. So I thought it wouldn't help me or benefit me if, I, if I'm not able to understand what they're trying to convey in the conference. Mm. So maybe not yet this year. If something else comes along, I would consider. Okay. Uh, have you been to any conferences before or would that have been your first one? Um, so far, the only conferences was the two conferences I took part as a speaker. So I've not, uh, apart from that, I've not attended any other conferences. Because in, in Malaysia, I think um, this was the first HANA conference organized by Nakris Mendy. Before that, we, we didn't have any. So I've attended this, this two so far. Oh, I see. I see. I think, you know... <laughs> 
I think attending a conference as an instructor versus attending as an attendee is a totally different experience. <laughs> and so, yeah, you know, you're, you're, when you're there as an, as an attendee, you can just be there to, to take in the information and enjoy yourself. But when you're there as an instructor, you're in work mode too. It, it was actually very um, challenging. I, I was, uh, for the first round, I wasn't very confident on myself because I had another four co-speakers along with me and four of them are already very well known in Malaysia. Like, like you just mentioned their name and everyone would know who they are. And being together in a team with them, I felt very intimidated. I kept questioning myself if, if I knew that I was not there yet. So somehow, uh, Nakri, she actually gave me the opportunity to um, teach on henna mixing itself during the first conference. And that was actually very intimidating because I have these four so-called henna giants <laughs> with me. And to be teaching henna paste mixing in front of them, that was, uh, yeah, I was actually sweating <laughs> while teaching. <laughs> Because I was afraid of making any mistakes in front of them, but I think it actually turned out okay. It turned out well. So I taught them base mixing in the first round, and then I talked to them about uh, henna and health. That was that was my main topic. Um, and then so yeah, that's that, that that's how I yeah I, I came into conference thingy as a speaker. <laughs> oh, oh my gosh! I, so I think I, yeah. I relate to that. I remember the first conference that I spoke at, I, I, I too, I was like, I'm teaching next to these people who like, they've been teaching for years and they've been doing henna for years. And why am I here? Why did they pick me? And I think, yeah, yeah. But you know, you have to lean in. I think, I think, uh, as, as um, women and as, as female business owners and, um, as creatives, right. Um, it can be hard to remember to just um, to affirm ourselves too. Like imposter syndrome is real, and I deal with this a lot. I, I try to be very open about it when I when I deal with it. But uh, imposter syndrome is a real thing. So um, for us to be in an arts, um, you know, in an art industry and that's female led, and like there's so much opportunity for comparison to sneak in and to kind of steal that the joy that we might have. Um, for really what's an amazing achievement, which is you were invited to speak at a conference, right? So um, I relate to that a lot. After the conference, what type of feedback did you get from the attendees and from, from the other organizers uh, regarding your talks? I was actually quite overwhelmed because um, I actually spoke about G6PD. I mean, how it can natural henna can affect people with G6PD of course involved a lot of scientific terms but then every the participants and, and even my co-speakers they said it was not at all very scientific that they could all understand what I was trying to talk about so um, I mean hearing those feedback actually made me feel quite confident after that that you know I actually delivered something worth or something good <laughs> yeah so yeah and actually i had a very supportive team they didn't see me as someone with very less followers to be honest i think when i started with the henna conference i had like less than 500 followers so 
that was why I, I was very intimidated. But but they never treated me as such. They were very encouraging. They were very supportive. And I think I, I, I think now we are all good friends. All of us are actually very good friends. So from oh. co-speakers, we are now actually more well-known as good friends. Ah, that's the best. That's the best. That makes me so yeah. happy. <laughs> and I, I, I love that you talked about G6PD. You know, I feel like, um, especially for newer artists who come in, they're very unaware of G6PD and its implications for mm. people who are who are getting henna done or who would like to get henna done. You know, for mm. for the purposes of educating our viewers today, do you mind? Can you give like a little clip about what G6PD is and why it's important for henna artists to know about it? Okay, well, G6PD, um, it's actually glucose 6-hydrogenase uh, phosphate. Okay, that's actually an enzyme. And the problem comes on people who lack this enzyme. And that disease is known as G6PD deficiency. Um, in people who have this, um, this disease, actually that enzyme helps our red blood cells membrane to actually stay intact. So the moment someone lacks this enzyme, uh, certain triggers causes their red blood cell to be very fragile and to just pop every now and then. So I think most of us know that red blood cells carry our oxygen, our hemoglobin. So once we have all these red blood cells popping here and there, we can actually know that we're going to be having lacking of oxygen and also maybe anemia. So one of the things that causes the trigger in this G6PD deficiency is actually natural henna. Um, surprisingly and also sadly. Yeah. So people who, who are known to have G6PD deficiency are actually discouraged from getting themselves adorned with natural henna. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, um, so for those who are wondering if they, how do they get G6PD deficiency, uh, is it contagious or whatever, actually G6PD deficiency is an uh, inherited disease. So it comes, uh, it's an X chromosome linked disease. So it comes from either of the parents. So only if your chromosomes are affected, someone gets the disease and it's not contagious or whatever. Mm -hmm. I think that it's always interesting when we talk about the, the history of henna and how um, people, you know, we think of henna historically being used on women, but we know that G6PD is carried on that X chromosome. So if you have um, a male who has inherited mm. that, that uh, mm. chromosome, then of course... Now you've got someone who is immediately yeah yeah at risk, and so with females because it is still that uh, that recessive trait they have two X chromosomes even if yeah. they have it, they don't have to worry so it's easier for sure. us to when we think about the history of henna and the context in which mm -hmm. henna has been used on women it's like well mm -hmm. it's not harmful in most cases for women unless they've got it on both of those X chromosomes, which is more yeah. likely. But uh, for men, of course, it's, they have a much higher uh, opportunity, yes. a 50% higher chance I of agree. having G6PD um, uh, diagnosis. So, which I think is so, it's so, it's, it's interesting. Now, I know that um, for some, like there are certain ethnicities where G6PD is like more highly expected, especially like North African and Arab uh, mm -hmm. lineages. Um, yeah. which is also interesting when you see like men uh, getting henna done. Um, I'll give the example. My husband is from Sudan and in Sudan, men will get henna done on their wedding, but it's very little. They'll get some on their palm and across mm -hmm. their knuckles. Um, but that really is kind of the limit. And, and uh, 
other than yeah. that it's like no uh, but that also that. yeah that's also you know that's a, a group of people who who would be in uh what's the word here i guess inclined to have that not inclined for that's not the that's not the word i'm looking for but that's the word i got inclined to have this uh, deficiency so very cool thank you for sharing <laughs> for sharing the knowledge <laughs> is there um do you no recommend problem. for anyone to to ask particular questions of their clients or so forth to identify that uh, uh, G6PD is something that they should consider or do you recommend that they actively ask these questions of their clients prior to offering services um what do you have to say on that point uh, well i actually um during during my personal classes and during the hana conference itself yes i've told the participants that um, they can actually ask this question uh if they have g6pd deficiency um but i think in malaysia we don't really see that many number of cases but i think we should i think it should come at, as one of the questions that we should ask for our future clients if they are known g6pd deficiency mm -hmm. i think we should start I think here in the U.S., uh, typically G6PD is is um, diagnosed typically somewhere around age five or six, right? No, like that's the average. If this exists, they'll they will know about it by around that age. So, like in my own business, I try to protect myself by choosing not to offer henna services to children who are younger than that. Um, uh, but it's I think it's definitely it's an interesting conversation. And it's one that's not often had, which is why I love that you are able to share your expertise also with us <laughs> so let's let's shift gears a little bit once more um i want to ask in malaysia so obviously i'm in the us i have no idea um what the average henna appointment goes for in in malaysia uh typically when people are seeking services are they looking normally for for that just one-off appointment or do they prefer um to get henna mostly for bridal and engagement and so forth uh, here, of course, for the uh, major events, weddings, registration of marriage, uh, weddings, engagement. So these kind of events, yes, they do come and get. Apart from that, uh, festive henna is also very popular. For example, this recent Eid celebration, yeah, we actually saw so many henna artists being busy throughout the, the whole week. Um, engaged with uh, festive henna and also what's great about malaysia is that we are a multicultural nation so we actually celebrate everyone's festive <laughs> festivals so we have chinese new year we have uh, deepavali we have christmas celebrations so i think basically every um, festive season um, there is a craze to actually get henna done for any festive season that they're celebrating so apart from that uh you can also see henna bazaars i mean or henna booths in certain bazaars or certain charity events so i think it has become like a part and parcel of any celebration or carnival kind of a thing you will definitely see a henna booth at the corner oh, i love it i love <laughs> I, <laughs> yeah i think i mean here the trend of henna is growing but um still you don't see it like everywhere like i have to remind people like oh you can get henna for this thing and the, oh i didn't think about that so i love that uh i love that the, the community is already very informed about 
using henna also to celebrate. When you're talking about festival henna, um, or if just have that smaller appointment, small, um, perhaps at a, at a festival or an event or a pop-up, what's the average cost that people are, would typically pay in Malaysia? Well, so far, I think there are a lot of charity or, or other booths that uh, they do not really charge because they actually want to attract the crowd. Mm. So, um, hold on, sorry, something is falling down. Okay. Um, if not for that, I I've not really participated in, in booths so much, so mm. I'm not really aware of how much they would charge. But I think in bigger carnivals, I think you can go up to maybe two or three hundred ringgit per day, small area. Yeah. Mm. So you will actually need to make more money than that to actually cover. The, the rental mm. right right yeah what um oh you're gonna have to help me out i don't know the conversions i'm like am i gonna have to google this <laughs> let's see i think it's four times close to four times malaysian oh. rate close to four times for u.s currency and you said it's how much uh average for a cost of a booth about 200 to 300 ringgit Okay, let's see. I'm going to do the math because I'm intrigued. I want to know. So about $75 US dollars for the day. Mm-hmm. Okay, okay. Is it normal for US rate? That's actually, for us, that's, that would be on the low side. Like if we're, a $75 booth for us would be like at a small craft fair. Definitely not a mm. large event. Like for a very large event for us here, I'd say on average somewhere for a one day event, Mm, 175 to 250 uh, would be like a good sized festival like mm-hmm. medium size you only need one artist there okay and for us it's basically not really a whole booth if it's a large event we are actually mostly sharing a small space with another large vendor ah so it's Most just like a table I see, I see. Well, I think that that makes yeah. sense then. Like here, um, if you were doing like a, a small pop-up, when I say like one of the craft shows or uh, like the small art shows, then that's exactly how it would be. Just a table, normally not even a tent. Like yeah. you just have the table there and you're working and $75 I think would be about about consistent. That's interesting. Yeah. So what about bridal yeah. henna? Do you, is there, are there multiple, because I know that you mentioned that sometimes they'll have a higher package versus a lower package. Do most artists offer multiple packages? And what's the going rate in Malaysia for those varying um, coverages? I think uh, the variety of packages that's very common here is uh, going by the length of the henna. Um, Mm. Because certain events, you wouldn't want a very elaborate henna design. So I I think it starts with the wrist and then goes to the mid-arm and then the elbow. So I think it varies according to the uh, length. So usually for weddings, brides like to go up to their elbow length. So for elbow length, the prices that I've normally seen here is starts from our uh, Ringgit Malaysia 500. It can even go up to 850, 900, 1000, depending on the artist how detailed your work is and also how popular they are 
So ah. that's the starting price and how further high it can get. I see. I see. Mm, when the okay. <laughs> I thought it was interesting that you that you mentioned how popular they are is also a thing. Uh because Malaysia is it's uh, in comparison to here of course it's a quite a small country. And so it, uh, definitely I can imagine there being um it well you'll have to tell me because I don't know. I don't know. Is it possible for an artist like let's say I'm a, a very popular uh, artist in Malaysia is it easy for me to travel around uh within the country and reach just about any community? Yeah, uh there there shouldn't be a problem in traveling around. It's just uh the matter of where that area that they want to travel is because uh some states you I mean it it, it all varies between few hours um from the north to south yeah maybe from the north to south you will need a flight to get earlier uh within 1 2 hours but uh, i think if you're driving it can easily take about 7 to 8 hours just to drive from the north to the south hmm i see so typically um you want to get anywhere um within the semenanjung malaysia or the east malaysia they call it uh if you want to get anywhere there is mostly by driving you also have bus services you also have uh train services so i think getting around here and there isn't much of a problem you also have uh, internal flights for certain states uh, so I, i i don't think it's a big challenge it's just that a matter of uh, distance and also is the client willing to cover the travel cost right that's why ask yeah that's why i ask i remember i remember i remember long ago um when sharaskin she used to she would travel a fee uh, she would charge a travel fee and i remember i i remember like yesterday because when i first when i first started with hanna she was the first artist i ever saw who was full time also and i was very inspired by that and uh, but i remember her her including that you know there's this travel fee and like seeing her in the taxi and doing the things and um me thinking wow okay uh this is something that people do versus having the person come to you which at that time i only had people come to me i never went out um so um typically do you find that most of the artists in your area are also traveling around or are they do they have physical locations where people are coming to them most of the henna artists i know are traveling to the customer's location i see yeah most of them are traveling to the customer's location and with the with the designs because um i also i found this very interesting about what you said about the the fees being by the length of the hand so it is it not um do artists there typically not charge per hour not really i think most of the artists here do not charge by hour most of the artists here charge by the maybe the level of intricacy mm-hmm. and mainly the length of the hand wow So wow. So how quickly can I ask how quickly does it take you to do a bridal piece? Okay, for me a bridal piece I would assume it's elbow length. So elbow length for me typically takes about 4 to 5 hours, less than 5. With the wrap around? Yeah. And are wrap you wrap around and feet a uh, simple design on feet till ankle. So the whole whole set takes me about 4 to 5 hours. Wow, you're fast. 
<laughs> yeah, you're fast. I love it. I love it. Can I, you know, there's something I mentioned, um, there being a very specific style that I, that at least that I associate with, um, with the henna designs that are done in, in Singapore and Malaysia and Indonesia specifically. Um, have you found that most of your clients are looking for a particular look or do they, um, do they really seek out the artist who's got like very different um, designs? Um, again, uh, is it about clients looking for the design? Yeah, I'm wondering if if the, it's the because there is there seems to be a very uniform look. Like when I think about designs that are in that region, um, I'm thinking very much like mandalas and um, uh -huh. uh, then what is it like, dome. like the dome shapes exactly and just a very simple fill like floral fill in between yeah. um mm -hmm. like that's what i think of when i think about that region do you find that most clients prefer that style or are, are oh. the clients now looking for artists who have a different style as well uh i think clients tastes are very much influenced by the designs they see because mm -hmm. most of the time they already have an idea of what designs they want because now you can you can get designs practically from anywhere you can search anyone's instagram profile or pinterest so they typically find certain designs that they like and sometimes uh, they just say that this is the elements that they like and then you know it gives us an idea of how we can come up with a particular design and then of, of course uh, there's a lot of popular henna artists here who um, clients love to follow them for their uniqueness of their designs so sometimes they do request to replicate the, the that particular henna artist work into their henna work as well so that cases uh, i mean if, if we do get a request like that i think it's very important for us to credit the original artist to tell them that this is their design and we are actually replicating it for the client's request. Mm. Always such a good idea to do. It's so ethical. So, such, a, such a good practice. Oh my goodness. <laughs> yeah. So let me ask you, like over the course of these years and over the course of your, your journey as a, as a henna artist and business owner, what has been the biggest lesson that you, you've learned? newcomers biggest lesson i've learned mm -hmm. okay for me biggest lesson i've learned is to go on your own pace sometimes we may feel very overwhelmed to see sometimes even i do um looking how fast or what um peers are doing and what are you doing why are you so lagging behind sometimes i i feel it gets very pressurized but i think we should not pressure ourselves so much um for me i i, I like a phrase it does not matter how slow you go as long as you don't stop that phrase is by confucius so um don't don't race go in your own pace uh, grab whatever opportunities that comes along your way so that was what i did i saw henna class i joined i saw henna meet i joined i saw shaira skins coming i joined i saw your invitation for an interview and i applied <laughs> so you know you just 
grab whatever <laughs> opportunities that comes along your way and then you just give your best best shot at it and i believe that the right opportunities will come your way that's uh, yeah i think that's the biggest lesson i've learned so far that's such a good one honestly that's such a good one i think uh we can we can feel so um perhaps sometimes we pressure ourselves and sometimes those around us we feel pressure we perceive pressure from them um intentionally or not intentionally either way but um that 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 pressure of okay am i doing enough am i going fast enough am i growing fast enough yeah. am i uh that concept of being enough um i think it can it can hold us back so i really love that insight of you know choosing to just to just continue and the quote that you shared is perfect it doesn't matter how slow you go as long as you don't stop i love that i love it yeah <laughs> let me ask if you were if you were to provide uh, one piece of advice if let's say you're just going to leave a note and tuck it in an envelope and leave it somewhere for that henna artist who's coming up two steps behind you in in their journey what what words would you say to them what advice or encouragement or suggestion would you leave for them I would say follow your pace follow what interests them I think um the more that they hear and listen out to what makes them happier uh just follow that and for me I I think it's very important for you to follow Hana Atis or anyone who seems to in- inspire um or or people who you can learn from so for me i i like to follow a lot of fan artists not only locally but abroad as well sometimes they tend to teach certain things or they tend to share certain tricks so you you follow them to learn these things and then you can actually apply it on your own uh whatever products that you're doing or whatever so I think once you learn and you listen from all of this and then you try to see whether it works or not I think it's all about trial and error you cannot expect something to happen um perfectly in the first try so if it doesn't work the first try go on for the second one so just keep doing something until you find okay this is the one that goes for me so keep going and if you happen to use something that a certain henna artist have taught you or inspired you i think it's very important just to maybe say a thank you to them or credit them just to mention oh this is something i've learned from this henna artist you know so i think crediting saying thank you uh, i think uh, they will feel happy also knowing that someone have learned from them i think that will motivate them even better so just keep going that's what i'll say just keep going grab every opportunities that you get along the way ah uh. such a good one. Oh, that's good. I think that's that's excellent <laughs> advice. Yeah, no, it's excellent advice. And I, you know, and in I I particularly like what you said about uh gratitude, expressing gratitude because you you do when you're someone who's who's sharing what you do and sharing what you love, it is so amazing to hear from someone else, "Hey, I learned this thing from you." And maybe you didn't mm. even expect to be teaching um you're just yeah. talking you know and for them to hear that and say wow okay uh that means that someone someone got something from what i said and that that really is affirming and um i think you know with that in mind that definitely that extends to you also in that you you joined us today here you're sharing your expertise you're sharing your insight 
and so forth. And so I want to, I, of course, I want to thank you for that. Um, the first thing I would love to know um, on social media, online, on the web, where can people connect with you outside of today's interview? Um, they can connect with me through my Instagram page, Shirley's Hannah Artwork. And I also have my Facebook page, Shirley's Hannah Artwork as well. Um, hold on a sec, I'll get my name cut. <laughs> it's spelled on. <laughs> Those are beautiful. I love the I love the color. Is it clear? It looks pretty clear for me here. Ah, worth mentioning. It's Shirley's with a Z. Yes, Shirley's with a Z. Perfect. Okay. Yes. Well, we'll definitely have to share it. And also, because again, uh, it's keeping in that in that theme of gratitude. I think it's really important for us also, you know, we, we sat with you today and we learned from you today. We heard about your experiences. And so I think it's important for us also to, to give gratitude to you um, by supporting you in whatever your next things are. So um, I would love it if you could tell me, is there a way that the Hennapreneur community, um, I, or, or the, the Henna community at large can help support you and your business? Maybe just take a look at my page, see what I have shared. Maybe, maybe just take a look at my work. The information I've shared on Natural Henna, you can just take a look at it and maybe just give me feedbacks or what you think of it. I think those things will be very helpful for me to know what people actually think about it and if it actually if it's actually helpful or if there's can if there's anything that I can improve from that. And if there's anything, something that I can do to make it better, even when it comes to my products, if it's a, if there's something else that I can introduce, those those kind of feedbacks, I think those would be very helpful. Awesome! I love it. I love it. <laughs> I think I think that's something we can do. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you so much, Shelly. I I I so appreciate you spending time with me today. And um, thank you, Chelsea. No, it's been the I pleasure has been mine. I appreciate your time as well. The way you have organized everything and even your, you have spent a lot of time as well. So I appreciate that a lot. Oh, thank you. Thank you. It's my pleasure. <laughs> I, I love this and I love being able, I love being able to hear about about other other artists and what's working for them and, and, and hear just their journey. It's so much fun to know. Oh, thank you for, for sharing with me. I will, I will let you go. And I'm so looking forward to seeing you further at the Entrepreneur Community. Thank you. All right. I'll see you, love. <laughs> Bye. Bye.